the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 69.7. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. God's concerned about how he's worshipped. Listen, there's two things we ought to avoid like the plague. Worshipping the wrong God or worshipping the right God the wrong way. Both are wrong. We want worship that's acceptable to God. So serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. expect people outside the church to joke about religion and overlook what's sacred, but sometimes this worldly attitude reveals itself in our own words and actions. We can be careless about worship and casual in the way we approach our Heavenly Father. So how should we show God the honor and respect that's worthy of His name? Philip DeCourcy explores that topic today on Know the Truth. What the world sees as trivial, we should view with utmost respect. Encouraging us to watch our step, here's Philip DeCourcy. The story of Henry Martin is one of devotion to God and dedication to the gospel. Henry Martin was a grade A student and scholar at Cambridge University towards the turn of the 19th century. He was destined to a glittering academic career, but to the surprise of friends and family and fraternity, he turned his back on that career, and he became a curate alongside Charles Simeon in an unfashionable evangelical church. After um, a year, he, uh, at the age of 24, left his home shores of England for India and then Persia to become an ambassador for Jesus Christ and the sharing of the gospel among the nations. It took him almost a year to get to India, and he was pretty poor in health when he got there, and it was something he struggled with from that day forward. In fact, he died sadly and tragically some seven years later, burned out for God at age 31. They say a man's life is not measured by its duration, but by its donation. And certainly if that's the case, Henry Martin's life was, was a weighty one and a worthwhile one. Because although he only ministered there for seven years, his legacy was translations of the New Testament in Urdu, Arabic, Persian. His work became the foundation for mission work in that region for years to come. And while a harvest of souls ultimately was the fruit of his pioneering evangelistic work, only one, only one recorded convert took place during his lifetime. 
In fact, it happened two days before Henry Martin died that his friend, Charles Simeon, back in Cambridge, England, received a portrait of his former curate. He hung the picture in his study. He often reflected on his friend's blood earnestness and devotion to God. He said that those eyes would look down on him and they would often say, Charles, don't trifle. Charles, don't trifle. From the perspective of Henry Martin, life is no trifling matter. It's a gift from God. And as a gift, it is a stewardship from God that must be lived for his glory until the sun sets on human history. And surely in the words of Charles Simeon regarding his friend, we have a word and a warning that we need to heed. We need to remind ourselves not to trifle. Not to trifle. And we need to hear that because, I don't know if you've noticed this, but We're living in an increasingly dumbed-down culture. We're living in a trivializing age where the sacred is mocked, where the profane is celebrated, where public discourse, for the most part, is rude and benign. The things that matter don't matter. In our culture, media-inflated personalities of barely perceptible talent and less taste are adulated. While genuine heroes of our republic are condemned, their lives are turned over, their sins are highlighted, and the true saints of God themselves are ignored. This is a day, this is a time where we're witnessing the trivializing of all things good and all things godly. The big is small, the small is big, the good is bad, the bad is good. The fear of God and the love of what's good and the reverencing of what's sacred. These are attitudes hard to find in such a climate, in such a culture. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then it's incumbent upon us, the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, not to trifle when it comes to the things of God and the issues of life and death. We, above all people, are not to play at church. We're not to tinker at our spirituality. We are to be deadly serious about God and the things of eternity. And in fact, to that end, here's what I suggest, based on the passage we're about to study, you and I can guard ourselves against this trivializing age. We can set up a wall against this dumbed-down culture. We can do it through embracing a fresh and bold perspective on the majesty of God. The contemporary church in this present day must be captured anew and afresh by an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence for God. Because the trivialization of God is a clear and a present danger. We've got to avoid the mush God. The God of stray dogs and stray cats. The God who's got no theology, no law. The God who is worshipped on a Friday night at a high school football game. The God who loves everybody and everything. The God who can be stretched 
over all kinds of scenarios and perspectives and beliefs. We've got to avoid the mush God. We've got to recapture an ever-expanding vision of his majesty and his might, his holiness, his power, his highness. Listen to these words of a writer. There is no sense of the majesty of God. It has fallen out of popular thought. Not for us the traumatic vision of Isaiah, the throne high and lifted up. Not for us the prostration of John before the radiant glory of a face that shone like the sun. Not for us the burning bush or the cloudy pillar. Not for us Job with his hands clasped over his mouth, speechless in self-loathing that he had been impudent enough to speak the name of God. No, God is our heavenly buddy. No, we favor him with our friendship. We patronize him with our prayers. He's a great source of comfort to us, but he's never a source of fear. Solomon would warn us to run from the mush God. Because here he tells us in verse 1, walk prudently when you come to the house of God. And he finishes this section with fear God. Interestingly, the whole thought of trifling with God is the subject of this section of the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't trifle could as much be the words of King Solomon as that of Henry Martin. Solomon is occupied, as we have seen throughout this study, that uh, there's the question of life's seeming futility and emptiness. And as Solomon investigates that question as it relates to life, he's extra troubled to see that even the worship of God in the house of God has not escaped the triviality, the vanity, the banality, the weightlessness, and the monotony that marks so many other areas of life. Solomon has gone to the university campus. Solomon has walked the halls of power. Solomon has been in the banqueting hall and on the dance floor. Solomon has been to the marketplace and the money exchange, and he sees it's all marked by weightlessness and monotony and banality. But he goes to church hoping to find that place, a place of refuge and respite, a place marked by weightiness and things substantial, things that count for eternity. But he goes to church and finds himself disappointed because Solomon here is warning us that even our worship of God can be marked by vanity. That's where he finishes this section, doesn't he? Where he tells us, for in a multitude of dreams in many words there's also vanity, but fear God. There was worship that went on in the house of God marked by hollow prayers, empty promises, and the whole thing was marked by the grind of mechanical worship. And so Solomon issues a warning and a word. Watch your step when you go to the house of God. Let me just um, try and put this section, verses 1 through 7 of this fifth chapter, let me put it in some kind of greater context. This is what most commentators call a critical interlude in the book. It's like a rallying point in the book. You see, Solomon up until this point has dropped more than a hint that God's gifts, God's goodness, and God's government in life provides us a footing in a world tilted towards vanity. 
Back in chapter 2 and verse 24, he says, Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw from the hand of God. He recognizes here, as he will in other places throughout this book, that life is a gift from God and it's enjoyed as a gift from God. And he recognizes in chapter 3 that a sovereign God has purposed different times and things for each of our lives. Therefore, the goodness of God and the government of God provide us a footing in a world that's tilted towards vanity, emptiness, meaninglessness. If you and I are going to survive life under the sun, we've got to connect it to life above the sun. And if that's the case, then how critical is worship? How necessary that you and I have God in his proper place? That's what it means to fear God. That's what it means to reverence God. That's what it means to stand in awe of God. And this is a theme. This is the key to life, according to Solomon throughout this book. Chapter 3 and verse 14 tells us indeed that men should fear before him. Chapter 5 and verse 7, we just read it. We're told to fear God. Again, this theme comes up in chapter 8 and verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. When we get to the end of the book, the key that opens the book is hanging on the back door, and we're told this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Life never goes right until God is the hub into which all the spokes go. And if that's the case, then life should revolve around worshiping God, fearing God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If that's the case, and it is, then worship is the highest and noblest and best activity a man can engage in. Listen, here's a statement worth pondering. When we stop fearing God, we start fearing life. Because the fear of God is the key to life. You won't find a lot of quietness in a modern contemporary worship service. I wonder why. Their worship lacked preparation. It lacked pause. It lacked perspective. They need to be reminded of the transcendent nature of God. For God is in heaven. And you, in contrast, are on the earth. Infinite, finite. Creator, creature. Eternal, mortal. Holy, sinful. They lacked perspective. They lacked pause. They lacked preparation. And they lacked performance. In the verse uh, 4 following, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. In fact, better not to vow a vow and not pay it. Don't be uttering your marriage vows and then get divorced. Don't be singing hymns you don't mean. Don't be promising to serve the Lord or talk about perhaps dedicating your life to world missions and then leave that all behind and get lost in the world. Don't do that stuff. Better not to vow a vow than to vow it and not pay it. You can't sectionalize your life. So let's, let's begin to dive in here. Their worship lacked proper preparation. Verse 1. Walk prudently, or you might have in your version, watch your step when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. It's an evil thing 
It's an affront to God for you and I to worship him casually, to lack preparation in our approach to God and worship. Solomon is saying familiarity and flippancy have to be banished. You're to tread lightly. You're to walk cautiously. The word prudent or watch is the word that carries the idea of guard, consider, observe. My studies took me back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. That's where this word turns up for the first time. Remember where God told Adam that he was to keep the garden and to tend it? The word keep there is our Hebrew word here for prudent or watch. What do we read back in Genesis 2.15? We read that Adam was to take his responsibility seriously. He was to give due attention to the upkeep and safekeeping of the garden. He was to be careful and diligent in his work in the Garden of Eden within the will of God. This was his assignment. This was his calling in life. And he was to reflect God's glory in what he did for God's glory. What's the connection if we bring it back into Ecclesiastes 5? I think what Solomon is saying here is, hey, you got to work at your worship. you got to work at your worship. you got to give some thought to it. you got to put some energy into it. you got to put some planning and preparation into it. Someone has said this. The typical American worships his work, works at his play, and plays at his worship. I think that's true. But that means our priorities are all jumbled up. Let's play at our play. Let's work at our work. But let's work and not play at our worship. Walk prudently when you come to the house of God. Listen, when you come to church, I know that the work of God has moved on. God doesn't have a temple for his people. He has a people for his temple, but we are the house of God. And so when we gather on the Lord's day as the people of God to pray and break bread and fellowship and hear the apostles teaching, think about what you're about to do. You're not just dropping in on your neighbor for a friendly chat. Let me tell you what you're doing. When you step into God's presence, you're opening the door to a blast furnace. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we see the continuity of this thought. Solomon is saying, fear God. The writer to the Hebrews says the same thing. This is something that should happen under the old covenant. Something that should happen under the new covenant. Hebrews 12 verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. Okay? Which reminds us there's, there's worship that's unacceptable. Listen, there's two things we ought to avoid like the plague. Worshiping the wrong God or worshiping the right God the wrong way. Both are evil. Both are wrong. We want worship that's acceptable to God. God's concerned about how he's worshiped. So serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. My friend, when you and I converse with the Almighty, we're not sitting down to have a chat by the fireside. We're opening the door to a blast furnace. I don't know if you've ever visited a steel mill or a smelting works. The heat would drive you back. The, the, the white hot 
glow of the furnace requires you to wear sunglasses. You need to put a helmet on. You need to put fire retardant suits on. That's the image here. But we treat the worship experience like we're sitting down in a living room by a cozy fire, chatting up things with God. He's a consuming fire. He's to be approached with reverence. We've got to think about what we're doing. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear, rather than give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Think of Moses meeting with God at the burning bush, where God said, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. Exodus 3 verse 5. This is holy ground. This is sanctified to the Lord, this place. This is where an expression of Christ's body meets on a weekly basis. And when we come, we ought to walk prudently into the house of God. You know, I was just in Israel, as you know, with uh, living waters and we had some time for sightseeing. And one particular morning, our guide, Donnie, took us to the southern side of the Temple Mount. And there we stood on a set of steps that dated back to the Herodian era, round about the time of Jesus. Some of the steps were long, some of the steps were short. And he explained that there were two theories as to why one step was short, one step was long, why they alternated. He said, well, we do think maybe as people brought the animal sacrifices up to the temple, it allowed the animal to find its footing. A whole series of short steps that might lose its footing. It's a four-legged animal. He says, but we actually think more it to be the case that it allowed the pilgrim to stop. It allowed room for the pilgrim just to stop, take in the sight of this magnificent temple, to realize that they are about to enter the house of God, the holy of holies, the place where God meets his people, the thrice holy God, the God who displayed his glory in the cloud and in the pillar of fire. As he told us that, I immediately thought of this passage because I knew it was coming up. Metaphorically, you and I need to act that way, not come rushing into God's presence, not come unprepared on a Sunday morning, tired, sleepy, from a week of engagement with the world, with no respite, no reflection. I think the contemporary church needs to regain a glorious, majestic vision of God. As we approach God, we need to do it with a right reverence and awe. When we take the Bible seriously, we develop a countercultural perspective on what's sacred. This is Know the Truth, and you're listening to a study in Ecclesiastes with Philip DeCourcy. Today's message is titled, Watch Your Step. To listen on the run, subscribe to the Know the Truth free app and podcast. Learn more when you visit us at ktt.org. It's important we pay close attention to the Bible's instruction, whether it's in regard to worship, right doctrine, or understanding God's plan for salvation. If we're not careful, we can be led astray by counterfeit ideas. So at Know the Truth, it's Philip DeCourcy's mission to teach the clear and convicting truth of the Bible. And we're using every technological means available. 
That's why you can hear this program on the radio and on the web. We're determined to reach as many people as possible with the truth of God's Word. And along with that, we always feature monthly resources to bolster your faith. Now, for just a few more days, we encourage you to request the book, Why Everything Matters. It's a commentary on Ecclesiastes you'll want to read and reread throughout the years. Ask for this book, Why Everything Matters, when you give $20 or more to the ministry of Know the Truth. Donate when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And if you prefer to send a check, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Now, if you're new to Know the Truth, we'd like to welcome you with a free CD message from Philip. Chasing Pretty Bubbles is from our current series in Ecclesiastes. Learn how to put your sights on what really matters when you ask for the free message. Just call 888-644-8811. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. There's more bold Bible teaching coming up next time in our study in Ecclesiastes. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Mike Lindell, and as you know, my passion is to help each and every one of you get the best sleep of your life. That's why I created my new Giza Dreams bed sheets. I started by using the world's best cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. My Giza sheets also include full 21-inch wide pillowcases that will fit over any pillow and deep pocket sheets that will fit over any mattress. The first night you sleep on my sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-516-3636 to get your very own MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets. Giza Dream Sheets are available in a variety of colors. Use promo code WAVA and Mike will give you 30% off plus free shipping. That's right, 30% off and free shipping with promo code WAVA. As parents and grand three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.